So it is. It is the beginning. That cat's already out of the bag. It's, it's Bereshit. It's the beginning of the Torah cycle. How in the world are we supposed to get excited about this? We just did this like 54 portions ago. We already know everything that's in there. Ha! Ha! What this is like, this is like a field of buried treasure that lays before you. Every year, a field like God points you to a field and says, there it is, go get it. But he points and places 54 flags in the exact location in the field where you need to go dig. That's what awaits us, the buried treasure. It's Bereshit, it's portion one. What is there to talk about? So many things I couldn't even begin to start. We could talk about what is the spirit over the waters. We could talk about what is this giant sea creature, Leviathan, that we talk about being some dragon, some crazy monstrous beast that, that they say we're going to eat and its skin is going to provide the sukkah covering in the world to come. We could talk about a woman being created from the side of a man, from a rib. We could talk about, what else could we talk about? We could talk about everything that happened on day six. Did you know according to Jewish tradition that Cain and Abel were born on day six before the fall? That's a whole other thing. We won't go into it today. But there's so many things we could talk about in this field of treasure that lay before us. So, but I picked one thing, literally one thing. I picked the importance of one word that's found in the Torah portion. And before I go there, I want to talk about something else kind of intriguing and mysterious that we can spend a lot of time talking about. The serpent. Let's start right there with Bereshit. Who is, what is, why is the serpent? Who is he? It. Her. Him. Who? Who? What? Is it Satan? That's what you're led to believe. You second it. Is it the angel of death? Through the serpent, death entered the world. There was no death. Is it the evil inclination? Is it that, that evil force within us that drives us to do naughty things? Is it, is it a snake? Is it simply a serpent? And the answer, yes, to all of the above. According to the, the sages of Israel, according to those who have devoted their entire lives for thousands upon thousands of years, digging into every yud and stroke in the Torah, all of those things are represented by the serpent in the garden. That it, it is literally a serpent, but God says, you shall be cursed among all things. To do what? To crawl upon your belly. Which would imply that prior to that, what was not happening? 
He wasn't crawling on his belly. It, whatever, we're just going to be the nebulous. So, it's also believed that the serpent was a serpent, but by our definition of the serpent, not necessarily because this, this was a creature, a something who stood and had the ability to communicate. Because did it communicate? Yes, it did. So that's not up for debate. Why did it get the name? How did serpent get attached to it? Well, we have a mental picture of a serpent in our mind, of course, because we know what it ended up as. The serpent is tied to Satan or the evil one or the adversary or darkness or the, all that. Serpent equals that, kind of like lion equals king. Okay, it's, a, it's an animal representation for something. And there's a very unique thing that's, I, I love this thing that's, I can't remember if it's where it's found in, in the writing. But it says, it's called a serpent. It's an animal, animal it's an animal, it's a beast with very, with limited utility, yet enormous potential to do harm. Think about the rattlesnake that lives out there. It does some things, actually, so we can't, we can't actually... Like, if you don't like mice, rattlesnake are good. But if you like your life, rattlesnakes are not good. Satan, as, as a destructive force, and this is completely off-topic, but I'm going to say it anyway, the world needs to recalibrate their perspective of Satan. That is what Satan is. That is, what, that is how God sees him and how we should see him. Limited utility. He is God's pawn. God uses Satan as a pawn. It is not around a chess table. Ha, good move, Satan. How about this one? And Satan comes back and they're having this equal like chess match and they're, they're battling like a superhero battle. No, he's a pawn. Limited utility capable of vast destruction. Why the vast destruction? Because we allow it. Because we allow it. And so, I want to talk from there. The, the serpent... Why was he so cunning? He was the most cunning, the Bible tells us, right? Why? What was he good at? Exploitation of human weakness, master manipulator. He was good at it. He's still good at it. Master manipulator. But he can do those things only when the door is open. And that's where I want to talk. Because there was a door opened in this Parsha. Eve's mistake, we'll call it. We read what happened. Beautiful creation. Shabbat. Man. Garden. Tree of life. Tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from that one. And then all of a sudden we end up in Genesis 3. And who's, who are the players? First paragraph of Genesis 3. Eve. And the serpent. And there's a, there's, a, there's a dialogue. Something is, there's a conversation, which is obviously not a great starting point. 
If you want to try to flee from the devil because he prowls around like one, like a roaring lion seeking whom he may destroy, devour, whatever word you want to use, conversations with him are not ideal, but nevertheless, that happened. And there's a Sanhedrin 29a. This is the basis of our teaching today. Sanhedrin 29a says this, whoever adds detracts. Whoever adds, detracts. And the context of that statement is Genesis 3. It's this conversation between Eve and Satan, or the evil inclination, or the angel of death, or the serpent. It's Eve's conversation. Whoever adds, detracts. What in the world does that mean? Kol hamosif gorea. Whoever adds, detracts. There was an addition made. Satan asked this question, serpent. The serpent asked this question. Did God perhaps say? Did God really say? You remember this? Did God really say it? And the serpent was cutting beyond any beast of the field that Adonai God had made. He said to the woman, did perhaps God say, you shall not eat any tree of the garden? Eat of any tree of the garden. Okay? We've got some manipulation going on right away don't we? And he, what was the point of that question? I told you he's an exploiter of human weakness. Number one human weakness that God hates beyond all things, what is it? Pride. Pride. And Satan will take a prideful door that is slightly open and bust through it. Did he say that you can't eat of any tree. Eve's response, no. He didn't say that. He didn't say that. But what should have been said is what God did say. That God said, don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Correct? That should have been it. God said this, and therefore, I am not going to do it. But Eve, it's like, uh, it's like I had a conversation when I was young. I had a very good friend. Uh, his name was Thomas. His parents were extremely strict. I was a Jewish guy, Jewish kid. His parents were like super hardcore Christians. I was terrified of them. They used to actually talk to me about Jesus and, you know, whether I knew what hell was and different things like that. I'm like 11. <laughs> but I remember they were so strict, I was kind of scared of them. And one time I, I was talking to Thomas about going to bed, what time his bedtime was. And uh, he said, well... You know, I, I, I've got to be in bed by, oh gosh, what did he say? Now I forgot the story. That's ridiculous. What did he say? Oh, he said something about being, oh, he said, I, I have to go to bed at nine. I said, nine o'clock? That's like for babies. Why do you have to, man, your parents are so strict. Why do you have to go to bed at nine o'clock? 
He said, I don't have to go to bed at nine o'clock. I only have to be in my room by nine o'clock. I don't have to go to bed till 9.15. So Eve is like, no, I, I, I can do we, we can do what we want. Like, we're, we're kind of in charge around here. So no, he didn't really say that. I mean, he, he kind of did, but not really. And then she goes and makes this mistake. Here's what the Hebrew says. Well, let's back up and see what it is that the Hebrew says, or that the English says, when God says to Adam in verse 215, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but the tree of the knowledge of good and bad you must not eat thereof. For on the day you eat it, you shall surely die. That's what he said. The serpent asks Eve, did he say it? Well, no, we, we, can eat, we, we can eat of these trees. We can eat of them. And the woman said to the, to the Satan, to the serpent, Of these trees, we can eat, right? But the tree that is in the center of the garden, she says, Amar Elohim, God said, Lo tochlu. Don't eat. Uh, I'm sorry, Lo tochlu mimenu. Don't eat from it. Velo tigu. You got it? Did God really say? No, he didn't really say. Velo tigu. We can't eat from it. And we can't even touch it. Where did God say that? He didn't say it. Eve said it. Whoever adds detracts. Proverbs 30 says, don't add to the, don't add to the word of God. Don't add, it says. Do not add to his words or else he will rebuke you and prove you a liar. We can't eat it, and we can't touch it. So what, Damien? So what? So here's the way it goes, according to tradition. At this point, Satan sees the door. It's pretty wide open. Why? Because God didn't really say that. And what is he going to do? He's found the temptation. Linda, stand up for me real quick. So here's the conversation. It doesn't take much. Did he really say? Well, he sort of. He said we can't eat, but we also can't touch it. And he went, oh, really? And he gave her just a little push, and you can sit down. And that right there is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what happened? Well, I don't believe, I don't believe this is Midrash. I don't believe Midrash. I don't believe that Satan, that the serpent could stand up and, and give her a little push. We're talking about a talking snake. And men being, women being pulled from ribs. Come on. I don't, be, I don't know if, if it's true or not, but the point is, it says Satan saw the door. He gave her a little push and what happened? Boom, she touched the tree. And what didn't happen? She didn't die. 
And now what happens? Can you see the exploitation? It's right before you. Aha! You just touched it, Eve. Eve, we're still talking. Guess what? Your God's a liar. Your God's a liar. What else did he lie to you about? You think you can't eat from that? You told me that you couldn't touch it and you just touched it and you're here. Eat from it, Eve. It's going to be great. But actually, Satan, the serpent, didn't tell her to eat from it, did he? So don't ever tell me Satan made me do it. Eve did it. Eve chose to do it with a little help, granted. But Eve added to God's Word. He did not tell them you cannot touch this tree. Whoever adds, detracts. Revelation 22 is very clearly clear about this. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it either, part two. So Eve, somehow, and I don't want to go into all of it, maybe you're confused, but by pride, she adds her own story to God's story. Now, the interesting thing about this as we continue down the journey of Jewish tradition is that there's a further discussion that goes along with this. Guess what? Men, women, it was actually Adam's fault that this happened. Can you believe that? It was the man's fault. Of course you can believe it, but why? Why was it the man's fault? How could it be? Because Adam was told this in verse 2. Don't touch it. And so Adam, out of protection for his wife, I mean, not don't touch it. He was said, don't eat it. He was never told, don't touch it. Out of protection for his beloved bride, his wife, he knows if she... You know how women are, guys. But he, wasn't, he was talking to the animals when he said that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to put a little fence around it. Eve, don't eat from that tree. And as a matter of fact, don't even go close to it. Don't touch it. It's a good idea. Fences are good. Yeshua had fences. There are fences around the Torah. Fences are good. They keep us from transgressing. However, point one, because men from the beginning and still now, ladies, stink at communication. He didn't tell her that part. So you see, it's Adam's fault because Eve really thought God did say that. And she told him, we can't eat it and we can't touch it. And whose fault? Adam, you stinky communicator. So let's leave that one there. Women, you can take what you want from that. But there's an important point to be made, and this has to do with oral law in Judaism, rabbinic law in Judaism. It is a heavy accusation leveled toward Judaism that, that traditional or orthodox Judaism equates Talmud, equates oral law, equates the rabbis on par or even above God's own word in Torah. From this example is one place where the sages draw this distinction. Fences are good. They keep us from transgression. But never, oh never, ever, 
ever should a man-made distinction not be communicated clearly. God's word is on its own level. The Torah and the word stand alone. If something else is added, it is defined to be man-made, stated by the sages. So this argument, if you ever hear it, that Jews put the Talmud above the word of God is a lie. It's a lie. It's about communication. It's about full disclosure. It's about whoever adds does detract, so don't think about adding. If you create a fence, designate it as such. Now, I wasn't even going to talk about the Adam thing, but it actually leads to what I want to talk about in conclusion. This is the point I want to make from these two things. Whoever adds detracts, whoever subtracts damages, destroys, detracts, whatever. And both of those examples are a good thing. Eve added to the word of God. It doesn't matter whose fault it was, she did it. And Adam did not give full disclosure if that's the way that truly happened. But here's the very, very relevant, relevant connection point. We have a problem today. Major, major problem. It's not today. It's been around for days, weeks, years, centuries, millennia. And that is adding what you want to the Word of God to make it what you want it to be or vice versa. Taking what is there and and removing it or changing it so that you can accomplish some theology or dogmatic or establish some denomination or do something like that where the word of God is trampled underfoot. We have a problem of changing the Bible to fit theology. And there are countless examples I could give. And every single addition is a detraction, Eve. And every omission is a danger, Adam. And every one is an open door for our enemy who is capable of grave destruction with the twisting of God's Word. Revelation 2 said it. I testify to everyone who hears the words of prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God shall add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his share in the tree of life and the holy city which are written in this book. Here it is. A few months ago, I gave you a message because I had heard a message from North Point Community Church by Pastor Andy Stanley. And it was, I got a little heated. Uh, I did some yelling. I got mad. And it was kind of like, it was just gross. It, it, was, it felt bad. Because what was it about? It was about what I'm talking about. It's about trying to change the Word of God to be something that it's not. Well, with the greatest respect... I want to let you know that Brother Andy is back. 
And I'm going to read you this in the context of what we just talked about. And I don't, I don't normally read. It's not that long. But I'm going to read this from September 18th, 2018. So this is months after the original We Need to Unhitch Ourselves from the Old Testament sermon series. This was published in Relevant Magazine. Anyone read Relevant Magazine? Anyone know what Relevant Magazine is? It's not that relevant then. But it's a, like a young magazine. It's a cool and hip Christian magazine. Like we're relevant. You know, we're, we're, we, we believe in Jesus, but we're relevant. We're hip. We're awesome. Okay, so this is, this is from Relevant Magazine. You've heard this story before. A group of Christians puts up a monument of the Ten Commandments in a public space or on government property. Someone says it violates the separation of church and state. The Christians say taking it down would violate their freedom of speech. There's some back and forth in court. Both sides say some not so great things about the other. Rinse and repeat. But how many times have you seen Christians trying to post the text of the Sermon on, a mount, on the Mount in a public place? Or the all-encompassing commandment Jesus gave us, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another, from John 13. The one commandment? It doesn't have the same ring to it, does it? But if we're going to create a monument to stand as a testament to our faith, shouldn't it at least be a monument of something that actually applies to us? Hear me out. The Ten Commandments are from the Old Covenant. The Ten Commandments played a significant role in God's creation of the nation of Israel. It gave them moral guidelines and helped separate this new nation from their neighbors. This was part of the formal agreement or covenant God created with his people. But Jesus' death and resurrection signaled the end of that covenant and all the rules and regulations associated with it. Jesus didn't issue his new command as an additional commandment to the list of commands. It wasn't the 614th law. Jesus issued his new commandment as a replacement for everything in the existing list, including the Big Ten. Addition, right there. Israel has been replaced. Just as his new covenant replaced the old covenant, Jesus' new commandment replaced all the old commandments. Participants in the new covenant, that's Christians, and Jews according to Jeremiah, where it comes from, are not required to obey any of the commandments found in the first part of their Bibles. Participants in the new covenant are expected to obey the single command Jesus issued as part of his new covenant. Addition or subtraction, where did God say that? Did God perhaps say? No, he didn't. And this new covenant is actually found in the old part. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. The new covenant replaced the old one. The covenant established by Jesus retired the covenant God established with the nation of Israel. This is why most Christians don't mind a little bacon with their eggs. It's why you can't get either at Chick-fil-A on Sunday. If we're still talking about our marching orders from the old covenant, they would be closed on Saturday. On Saturday. Big news, big news, big news. 
I don't get my theology from what Chick-fil-A does. I love their chicken sandwiches. Thanks to the new covenant, we aren't required to sacrifice animals to stay on speaking terms with God. Now that's dirty. That's an addition. Skim through Leviticus, you'll discover a whole lot of things we aren't required to do. We need to stop mixing the old with the new. The church has a terrible habit of selectively rebranding aspects of the old covenant and smuggling them in to the new. Like dirty old things, I'm sure, like loving your neighbor, respecting your parents, helping and helping someone if their ox falls. You know, those disgusting old things that we did. The blended model began as early as the second century when church leaders essentially kidnapped the Jewish scriptures. Now we're getting into a little bit of truth. And claimed them as their own. In the fourth century, following the legalization of Christian worship under Constantine, church officials began leveraging old covenant concepts to validate the creation of an imperial form of church. During this same period, the church began doing to pagans what pagans had done to the church. By the 11th century, the church offered a get-out-of-hell-free card to anyone who would join a crusade. By the 15th century, the church was at war with itself over theology. Entire villages were raised in the name of a version of Christian theology. Over and over, Christianity was weaponized in Jesus' name. Wherever and whenever the old was blended with the new, unchristian behavior and attitudes ensued. Wrong! That happened because you omitted all of God's instruction. You took it out. That's why that happened. The modern church suffers from its own version of mix and match theology practice. We have an incessant habit of reaching back into old covenant concepts, teachings, sayings and narratives to support our own teaching sayings and narratives. The justification Christians have used since the 4th century to mistreat people find their roots in the Old Covenant practices and values. Old Testament, God, addition, mean, dirty, ugly. Thank God we got a new God. That was my commentary. Imagine trying to leverage the Sermon on the Mount to start an inquisition, launch a crusade, or incite a pogrom against Jews. But reach back into the Old Covenant, there's plenty to work with. The early church moved past the Old Covenant. Why haven't we? It took the earlier church more than 20 years to officially disengage from the Old Covenant. It's not a subtraction, it's it's not an addition, it's a lie. It's a lie. This is entirely understandable. First century church leaders were Jewish. There's some truth. The Old Covenant was more than a religious framework. It had been a way of life from childhood. But thanks to the clarity of Paul, the experience of Peter, and the leadership of James, the church eventually abandoned the old for the new Jesus came to inaugurate. I'm almost done. These early church leaders understood something we've forgotten or have missed entirely. While Jesus was foreshadowed in the Old Covenant, He didn't come to extend it. Gosh, my mind mind is going to Matthew 5. I can't help it. 
Don't think that I've come to abolish. No, not to abolish, but to fulfill. He came to fulfill it, which in this definition means abolish. Put a bow on it and establish something entirely new. He came, the new Jesus unleashed, made the faith of the first century believers formidable. Their apologetic was irrefutable. Their courage unquestionable. And the results were remarkable. Dear reader, why? Why? I'm sorry, dear Christian reader. I'm, I don't know if I'm allowed. Dear Christian reader, why? 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 Would we even be tempted to reach back beyond the cross to borrow from a covenant that was temporary and inferior to the covenant established for us at Calvary? Now we're going to get Hebrews, <coughs> which is completely and totally totally misunderstood and taken out of context and added to and subtracted from to get this one text. The author of Hebrews says it best, Jesus was the guarantor of a better covenant. Later he writes, the new covenant is established on better promises. And here it is, brothers and sisters, in conclusion, besides, you weren't included in the old covenant to begin with. So why are we fighting to build monuments to it? Now we've hit a whole nother level. And that, my friends, is bordering. I'm not going to say it, but that is bordering on anti-Semitism right there. That is bordering on Jew hatred. That is bordering on us and them. Have you read Romans, brother? Gosh! Those Jews don't want you. They never did. We Jews were called to be a light to the nations. The, the Hav Torah from today says it. The beginning of the Torah cycle says it. God desires for the sake of its righteousness. This is Isaiah. We call on Isaiah for Isaiah 53 and the Prince of Peace and the Mighty Counselor. We call on Isaiah for that. But what about this? Desires, God desires for the sake of its righteousness that the Torah be made great and glorious. He says, I have protected you and appointed you to bring the people to the covenant, to be a light for the nations. These are lies. And it's a door. It's a door that Satan will charge through. And you want to know why Israel and, and the believing Christian community is turning on Israel and the Jews? They didn't even want you in their club. Their club. Their, their mean God club. They didn't even want you. So throw it in the garbage and we're doing it new. In Jesus' name, give me a break. So, this is it. That's, that's it, by the way. That's that. Here's me. You ready? It has never, ever, ever, ever been more important for you to know your Bible. To know your Bible. Words, the things that God said, the things that God didn't say. 
and to be able to clear up and clarify for a world that's hearing that crap. God never said that. God didn't, doesn't feel that way. God said this. This is not, I am not directing that toward my brothers and sisters in the church. I love them. We need each other. We have a unique calling, each of us. But I cannot stand by as a teacher of God's Word while God's Word is trampled underfoot to the detriment of my own people. And my own people doesn't just mean my Jewish brother, my Jewish family. It means my Gentile brothers and sisters who align themselves with Israel, who come beside me and we walk together and we attend and we worship in the Messianic synagogue together. That's to you. You're an idiot. You know that? You're an idiot. I don't think you're an idiot. And God doesn't think you're an idiot. And I refuse to let anyone call you one. It has never been more important for you to understand the Word of God, to study it, to know it. And so, yes, like I started out real happy and I'm still happy because there's still 54 treasures buried in the field before us, marked with poles that flags, and God saying, Dig here, you'll find truth. Dig here, you'll find blessing. Dig here, you'll find life. And those who uphold these things are blessed. But I want you, I want you to understand and know that it's never been more important. And to reject those who would change it. To reject those who would add to it. To reject those who would subtract from it. And dare I say, would lie about it. For whatever goal, I don't know. I don't understand what's motivating this. But the serpent is still at work. And so my plea is to read your Bibles, to ask questions, to come out of your comfort zone, get out of your box, listen, learn, grow. That's three chapters and two verses that we talked about for 45 minutes today. I studied for hours. I loved every moment of it. And I was in the Old Covenant. I was in the Torah. And I got something out of it. I found life. I found blessing. And I pray to God I shared some of that with you today. Psalm 119, how can a young man keep his way pure by guarding it according to your word? With my whole heart I've sought you. Let me not stray from your mitzvot. King David, a man after God's own heart. I have treasured your word in my heart so I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, Adonai. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I rehearse all the rulings of your mouth. I rejoice in the way of your testimonies. Above all wealth, I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. I will delight in your decrees. I will never forget your word. You must study to show yourself approved. Start a Torah club. Study your Bible. Join our studies. Something's missing. You know something? And I promise you I'll end right here. I do all these interviews for all these people around the world. Around the world. 
who tell me the same thing, and I've told it to you a bunch of times. Had a, had a, a, a leader interview, a vetting call with someone who wanted to be a Torah club leader yesterday. I said, tell me your story, man. He's a young guy. He said, I was um, in getting ready to become a Catholic priest. And my eyes probably went, yeah, I was, I was on the way. And, and again, this isn't about Catholicism. I would not be standing here before you if it were not for the Catholic Student Center at Louisiana State University and the Asian priest who told me about Jesus, who I had been taught to hate. So I don't ever throw anyone under the bus or any opportunity that God can use. But this guy was going to be a Catholic priest, and you know what he told me? He said, I was getting close, and then I took my Bible out, and I started reading it. (laughs) And I realized, this isn't what they're saying. And it put me in a tailspin, and it went off the deep end. And like I joined the military and I got hurt and I ended up homeless and like just unbelievable story. But God brought me back. And what did he bring him back to? Yeshua and the Torah. Because those are the foundations and principles of our faith. And without them, without them, there is a door for the manipulator, the, the, the enemy to destroy. And all of these people I talk to, how did you get here, man? Why, are you, why do you want to do this? Because something's missing. Something is missing. And that's why God says, study to show yourself approved. And that's why God says, I want you to, I want you to share. I want you to know. So, here's the deal. Remember the X-Files? X-Files had this alien show from the 90s, and their, their motto, the thing that always came up at the end was, the truth is out there. The truth is in there. No matter what anyone says. I don't care how many people follow you. I don't care how much money you have the truth will never depart from those pages. We must, my friends, we must study to show ourselves approved. Shine a light. Make a difference. Overcome. Bezrat Hashem by God's strength. Amen. Shabbat Shalom.